almost testimonial. It's going to be about as personal as I ever get uh, since I'm going to be sharing with you how I came to some of the understanding that I've been sharing with you the past two Sundays and now again this morning. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is our text. Would you stand with me in honor of the word as we read it together? I want to begin reading verse 21. Listen to what it says. Therefore, let no man, now that's generic, it means let no person, let no person, King James says glory, and it's the word which means to boast, let no person boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or Peter, Cephas is Peter's other name, or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. So in those words, Paul is simply saying to this Corinthian church, all things are yours, and you're Christ, and he is God's. And we're going to look at that in a personal way before we finish this morning. Be seated now. Uh, if you will. Just two or three way, uh, things I want to say by way of introduction in order to kind of bring it all together. And the first thing is this, I've been attempting to put before you the fact that we live in two realms of reality. Now, that's just a fact. We live in two different spiritual realms of reality. The first one is what I've called the natural realm. The second one is what I have called the spiritual realm. Now, some people are willing to accept the natural realm. That's our natural world. Chairs and people and microphones and clocks and Bibles and so on, things that we're able to see and hear and perceive in some physical, tangible way. Some people are willing to live in that realm and accept it, but they laugh at the idea of there being a spiritual realm. Their philosophy is, if I can't see it, if I can't taste it and touch it and feel it, then it just doesn't exist as far as I'm concerned. On the other hand, there are some other people who accept the spiritual realm. They call themselves Christians, and I'm one of them. They accept the spiritual realm. However, they refuse to accept the validity of the natural realm. They denounce it as evil. They downplay it in their life. It's something that you're to avoid and not to be a part of and so on in their thinking. And I am not in that group as you're going to discover this morning. But the fact is, you have some people who accept the natural and reject the spiritual. Then you have others who accept the spiritual realm of reality and reject the natural. Now, here's the point I want to make for you on those. Both of those are missing half of what life is all about. Now, the reason I say that is because either way, believing in only the natural and not the spiritual, or believing in only the spiritual and not the natural, you're cutting yourself out of 
half of what God intends for you to experience in life. Now, in the natural world, I'm not talking about the matrix kind of stuff. Uh, quantum mechanics, wave functions, parallel universes, that's all still the natural realm. Just different dimensions of it. And we're grateful for those dimensions that I talked about. They enable us to have uh, cell phones and see television and uh, pick up things that we can't see with the human eye. That, but it's still the natural realm. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that we are acclimated to both as human beings. We are created to be acclimated to both the natural and the spiritual realm. Hence, when God created Adam, Adam walked with him, talked with him, fellowshiped with him. Now remember, God is spirit. And in the realm of the spiritual, the reality is God. That's where he dwells, in the spiritual realm. And Adam was created to live in the natural world that is the Garden of Eden. And Adam was to experience the reality of both. So he walked with God. He fellowshiped with God. And then, of course, this thing of sin came and the fall of humanity happened. And as human beings, we lost our connectedness with the spiritual realm. Now, the Scripture calls it spiritual death. In the Bible, death never does mean annihilation. It means separation. And so when Adam sinned, the human race plunged into a disconnectedness to the spiritual realm. And by the way, that's what the Bible means when it says we were born dead spiritually. We were born disconnected from the spiritual realm. But hang on, because when Jesus came and did all that he did, and we talk about it and preach about it uh, rightfully so, he opened the door for us to be reconnected to the spiritual realm. And so you think back, as will I, to the time when you first trusted the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Scripture says you were born again, or you were made to be new in Christ. What that means is your spirit was made new in the Lord Jesus. Now you're connected to the spiritual realm. Do you realize that only believers have the capacity and the connectedness that is necessary to live in both the natural realm and the spiritual realm. We were made to live in both. Now, the Scripture teaches when people are lost, they're still in the natural realm. Paul called them natural people, a natural person. In Romans, he also said, called other spiritual people or spiritual men. That doesn't mean spiritual being nice. It means of a different realm. So believers are both those who live in the natural and the spiritual realm. Then I pointed out to you that miracles, which are what God simply does, miracles are the actions of God. When God steps out of the spiritual realm into the natural realm and is the cause and effect of something happening, we call it a miraculous event, a supernatural event. Those kinds of things happen. 
God simply steps out of the spiritual realm, which uh, many people are not connected to by uh, virtue of the fall. Those of us who know Jesus are connected to it, but we're still limited in our natural body. We still live in this body, so we cannot see into the spiritual realm with physical eyes, but we intuit in our spirit, the reality of the spiritual realm. And so God steps in from the spiritual realm to the natural realm and does something in a phenomenal way. It's an awesome thing, and the end result is a miracle transpiring. Now, remember I shared with you from John 2 that the point of miracles, the point of God stepping out of the supernatural into the natural to do something that only God can do is not to solve our discomfort. It is not to remove our difficulties. You remember when he was going to change the water to wine, his mother was very upset that they'd run out of wine. She was concerned about the embarrassment the family would face, and so she asked Jesus to do something about it. And he said, hmm, I have nothing to do with you on in this way. Now, he was separating himself from the natural relationship. My time has not yet come. But he went ahead and did the miracle, except in verse 11 we saw, he did it so he could evidence that he was God in human flesh. In other words, the causing of a miracle, God stepping out of the spiritual realm into the natural realm to do something with a new cause and a new effect is always for the motivation of something bigger being revealed or done than just our discomfort or our difficulties being assuaged. In other words, God is not at our beck and call to make life comfortable. He has never intended for us to see life and miracles transpire in order that we have a higher comfort level than we have today. In fact, the Scripture teaches the opposite. The Scripture teaches that we are to rejoice in our sufferings. We're to exalt in our sufferings. Why? Because they only build our character and our, our perseverance, and our perseverance will build character, and character has hope involved in it. And so oftentimes we're left to our discomfort and our difficulties, and it's so God can teach us deeper things than we ever dreamed possible. And when he does step in to do something miraculous, it's always got something more than just our personal difficulties or our personal discomforts. But he does that. He does create and perform miracles. The third thing I'd remind you is I've mentioned to you that the difference between the spiritual realm, that's where God is. It's where God dwells. And the natural realm, that's where we are. That's where we live. Even Christians still live in this natural realm. Our bodies are still natural. Oh, one of these days, they're going to be raised from the dead at the second coming of Christ, and everything then will be of a spiritual nature. Time will be no more. Be a new heaven and a new earth. It'll all be the new spiritual realm, but in the, until then, we live in the natural realm. Now, the spiritual realm and the natural realm are not separated by distance. In other words, you remember when Stephen was being stoned to death, 
Scripture says he prayed for the forgiveness of those who was doing it, and he looked into the heavens and he saw. Saw what? Jesus. Doing what? Standing. Where? At the throne of God. But ladies and gentlemen, Stephen didn't have a telescope. He wasn't looking off into the distance to see heaven. Heaven is not a distant place. It is a different dimension. So what God did was open the spiritual dimension and Stephen saw into it and that in itself was a miraculous event. You remember in the Old Testament when the prophet uh, was surrounded by the enemy armies that hated him and they were about to kill him and his servant went out and saw all the armies around and he came back in and said, oh, we're done for. I mean, our time has come. And the prophet said, Lord, show him. And the scripture says, God pulled back the realm of the spiritual, opened it up, and the, and the servant of the prophet saw angels camped all around the enemy. And he realized that they were not alone and the battle wasn't there. It was in the spiritual realm and God was going to win the battle. But it was the opening of the spiritual realm so that someone in the natural realm could see there. So we're not separated by distance, but only by dimension. Now this has so many implications. It's incredible. I, like you, lose people I love. My brother, whom I have known and loved and lived with for 79 years, died about five weeks ago in Florida. Jim moved from the natural realm. Death is that transportation into the spiritual realm. Now, where is Jim right now? Now, listen carefully to me. If I understand Scripture correctly, it would be incorrect for me to think of him being away from me in distance, but only in dimension. So I have a feeling that our loved ones are far closer to us in that realm of the spiritual dimension than we could ever dream possible. But we're not yet, because we're still in this body, we're still not connected completely to the supernatural realm. One of these days, I'll die. This body will go into the grave. My spirit, the person I am, expressed in this human body, which is the outward appearance of this person called Paul, will die. The Spirit goes immediately in the presence of the Lord, not distance, but dimension. My body laid in the grave. And one of these days when the resurrection morning comes, my body will be raised incorruptible. What does that mean? Material of the spiritual dimension instead of the corruptible, which was the material of the natural dimension. Are you following me here? And then I will be body, soul, spirit in the presence of God eternally. That's what the dimensions all represent. Now, the question is, are we aware 
that as believers, we are to live in both realms of reality. The natural and the spiritual are to be home to us in a, as a Christian, not as our citizenship. That's in another country. It's in the spiritual dimension, but in our dwelling place. In other words, we're here, but we're also there. That's why Paul said, now listen, to all believers, you who are in Christ are seated with him in heavenly places. That's not speaking about distance away, but it's speaking about you're already sitting in Christ Jesus, dwelling in him in the spiritual dimension. It's a reality right now. So that we are those who live in both the natural and the supernatural realm. Now, you know when this became important to me? Well, I'm going to tell you about it. So we're going to go to a little bit of a personal time here. It was back in the mid-60s. I'm sorry, the mid-80s, 40 years ago. I was traveling, having already concluded all the years of pastoring, and I was traveling full-time in Bible conference ministry. I was 45 years old, and in the process of that time, the mid-'80s, I suffered two or three heart attacks, finally wound up having triple bypass heart surgery. The year before I had that surgery, the doctor had said that I needed to get in better shape, that I was in terrible condition. My dad had died at, 40, at 56, and my sister had died at 47 of heart disease, from which it looked like I was going to beat them all by dying at 45. So we went to work in the natural realm to try to get me in good shape in this natural body. I started eating oat bran muffins. Mary baked oat bran muffins till they were running out of her ears. Now, you think I'm kidding, but I'm not. I'd pack them up, take them with me when I'd go on a plane. I'd eat those oat bran muffins. Please don't anybody offer me an oat bran muffin today. For a year, I ate oat bran muffins. I started losing some weight. I started jogging. I got up to six miles. I jogged six miles in Tampa, Florida in a meeting that I was in uh, nearly a year after I told I needed all this conditioning, went back in to be checked, and my cholesterol had gone up 17 points. They had to do some things, change some things. And so I had heart surgery. Now, it's in this time when the natural realm was crushing in on me, and I was genetically... Uh, disposed to not living very long at all in terms of the natural world. Tell you, it was a tough time. I was up north in a meeting, and a good friend of mine, Adair Ratliff, who'd been the chairman of the pulpit committee, had called me to a church in Fort Worth, uh, Southcliff Baptist Church, where I'd pastored for several years. Uh, Adair Ratliff sent me a set of tapes by his pastor, a former missionary. I was in a meeting had a little time in the afternoon. I was doing my walking, so I listened to the tapes. And the tapes were a series about living naturally in the supernatural. And ladies and gentlemen, they blew me away. 
Now, that's an idiom. That doesn't mean I was literally blown away. It means it's a symbol of what happened to me. My mind went bonker. My heart and spirit began to uh, go bonkers. And he introduced me to this 1 Corinthians 3 passage. Oh, I'd preached through it several times. But it became my life verse. Listen to it again. All things are yours. Let no man glory in any man. All things are yours. Now, notice he says whether Paul, Apollos, Peter, and so on, what had happened, these Corinthian folks were arguing about who had been their favorite pastor. Paul had been their pastor one time. Peter had been their pastor one time. Apollos had been their pastor one time. And they were all arguing with one another. Who was the best pastor? And Paul said, oh, don't you know, don't boast in any person because all are yours. In other words, every one of those three pastors' names are yours. They're a gift from God to you, to you. And then Paul just launches into this incredible statement. He says, so is life yours. Now, wait a minute. What, what does he mean, life? Well, Paul is talking about things that happen in life. The little word, all things are yours, the word are in the original language has the idea of a plate set before you with things on the plate that have been prepared specifically and specially for you. Have you ever had a suit and someone opened it up and it says made specifically for? That's literally what that word is the idea. That a plate is set before you and it is specifically designed with you in mind. And Paul said that's what life is. Life is your thing, whatever your life is. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I was the son of an alcoholic. I was the son of a man who died at 56 of heart disease. I was the brother of a girl who died at, 50, at 47 of heart disease. Now, what do you mean life is mine? Is that mine? Well, that's what Paul was saying. It's like it's been set on a plate and specifically given to you, life. Then he goes on to say, death. Whoa, now, now wait a minute. Are you trying to say, Apostle Paul, that death is on a plate and the kind of death I die is set before me and I'm to embrace it as coming from you? That's exactly what he's saying. In fact, the Scripture says in other places, it's appointed unto men. Now, that means the specific time is determined in the eyes of God when you shall die. And then God says, blessed are the death of the saints in the sight of the Lord. Death is not something that Christians fear. It's something that's a wonderful adventure. And Paul says, it's just like life. Whenever it comes, it's, it's like God's put it on your plate. You're to embrace it as yours. And then he went on to say, not just life and death, but all things present. Wait a minute. What I've got present is the need of heart surgery, and what I've got present is the need of having some arteries cleansed out and changed. And what that's mine, if I understand Scripture correctly. It's like it's set before me, and I'm to see it as God doing something in a special way. But then it goes on to say not only life and death and things present, but things that are yet to come. I had no idea what that meant. I didn't know at that time that it meant one of our granddaughters being born with spina bifida where she'd never walk a day in her life. 
forever in a wheelchair where she's gone through, I don't know, multiple 20-some surgeries already. And now at 33, and she wasn't supposed to live past 14 or 15, at 33, she's still in that deformed, twisted little human body, but a glorious human being. I didn't know at the time that the, that was in my future. But I began to see that 1 Corinthians 3 is saying, Life and death and things present and things to come, all are yours, specifically set before you. And you are Christ, specifically set before Him. And He is God's, specifically set before Him. Now I'm beginning to understand what I began to see is this. So it's not just the spiritual realm that is a gift to me one day, but it's the natural realm that is a gift to me today. What does that look like? What does that entail? Listen carefully to me now. I'm going to show you three or four illustrations as we close this study together, and I think it will help us understand what I'm saying. For instance, the first one is what I call the loaves and fish experience. You'll not need to turn, but it's in John 16. You remember where Jesus had been teaching and he crossed the Sea of Galilee, went into a mountain in order to rest, and a horde of people followed him. And Jesus said to the guys, look at all the people coming. He said to his disciples, what are we going to feed them? The disciples said, well, we don't have anything. We don't have enough. No way under heaven we can feed them. And one of the disciples said, Lord, here's a young lad, and he's got five loaves and two, uh, two fish. Five loaves of bread and two fish his mom packed for him this morning. But what's that inside of all of these men? And Jesus knew what he was going to do. He said, I want you to take that, hand it to me, and now I want you to sit all the men, 5,000 men, Set them all, and then in Luke it says, set them all in groups of 50. So you wound up with maybe 20,000 people sitting around, and Jesus, the Scripture says, took the fish and took the bread, and he broke it, and he gave thanks. And by the way, the Greek word for thanks is the word eucharist. It's where we get the word eucharist. It's charis. It's the idea of grace, being thankful, being joyful. Jesus had that spiritual moment of being joyful over this food, and he told his disciples, pass it out, and they did, and they ate, and they ate, and the crowd ate, and they, Jesus said, pick up the rest, and they had 12 baskets left over. Now, here's my point. First, you have the natural realm. That's five loaves and two fish. The loaves of bread or wheat, barley, whatever it was. A little sourdough mixed in. A mother cooking it in an oven, working over it, getting it ready for her child. Is that the natural realm? Right. That's naturally how things happen. But here's Jesus introducing a spiritual realm. He gives thanks for it. He gave thanks for it. He gives thanks for everything they have. It becomes a spiritual moment then. Now, what I'm asking us is this. Is God's reality in the natural or in the spiritual? 
The answer is yes. He's in both. Jesus was as much involved in the natural in that moment as he was the spiritual, and it opened the door for a supernatural event. God working as only God can. But my point is this. Jesus lived in that moment with the natural. Made it to be seen as a spiritual moment when he asked God's blessings over it. And it was a supernatural event in the eyes of people. But it was just normal living for the Lord Jesus. Well, let's carry that over a little bit. I went ahead and had heart surgery in 1985, triple bypass. Um, the natural was involved, the doctors and the nurses and the scalpel, the anesthesia, a lot of anesthesia, a double dose of anesthesia. They said, how much do you want? I said, all you can give me legally. I don't want to know anything that's happening. They put me under. took me three days to get, wake up. I'm just joking. I was awake within a few hours. But the fact is, that's all natural. They opened me up. I'm a member of the zipper club. They went in. They put in three new arteries. That's all natural stuff. But there was a spiritual moment we introduced. Now, I have friends from all over the country. Uh, some board members from two or three different states, and they were praying for me. A lot of friends were praying for me. In fact, we had to pray to know that God wanted us to do it in the natural sense rather than to ask him to do it in a supernatural moment, and we couldn't get comfortable with that. So we did the, the natural, and, but we were praying. We introduced the spiritual moment. And then of all things, I had friends come from all over two or three different states and be with Mary during that time. They held hands. They prayed. Now, here's my point. The surgery was in the natural realm. The spiritual moment was in the spiritual realm. Now, was God in the natural or the spiritual? And the answer is yes. He was in both. It's never an either-or choice with Him. It's always we're to live in the natural as if God is eternally present and it's a moment He's gifted us with and we're to live in the spiritual realm as an eternal reality, a thing that He's gifted us with. So it is the natural and the spiritual that we're to enjoy in the very presence of God. And then later, after I fully recovered, didn't recover all my sense because I started riding motorcycles for the first time ever. At age 50 years, at, at 50 years of age, I think it was, I had never put a leg over on a motorcycle. I did. I liked it. Guy gave me a little Honda 450. I learned to ride it. I loved it. I talked to Mary about riding with me. She said, no way, Jose. I will not. She watched me, and I was pretty careful. I was very cautious. She decided she would. She said, do they make them for two? We got us an old gold wing. Started riding. 1998, we bought us a new gold wing. SE. She and I have gone all over the country from here to Montana, Beartooth Pass and back, from here to Snake River, 
We've been all over on that motorcycle. And I'm telling you, it's glorious. She'd be riding behind me. We'd have on surround sound and Creedence Clearwater playing, and she'd be beating me in the back to time to Proud Mary. I mean, those were one. Listen, I got so used to the natural realm on that motorcycle, we'd pass a barn, I could tell you whether it was cows, pigs, or horses, just by the difference in the smell. I got to where I really understood and enjoyed this natural realm. It was a, I mean, it was something. And I really was living out this thing I learned, that the natural is a gift from God. But we introduced the spiritual moment to it. Yeah. Before we'd leave, we'd take hold hands and pray, Lord, if it's in your providence and if it can be your purpose for us, then we ask that you allow us to return safely. Nevertheless, Lord, we don't dictate to you. We bow in your um, we bow before your sovereignty, but we're requesting and we're looking to you in the midst of it. And uh, we had a little, uh, you know, accident one time, uh, nothing all that bad. I don't want to describe it. It looked awful. It looked worse than it really was. And uh, no, it was really bad. It was, since I think about it, it was real. But anyway, we're still alive. Now, ladies and gentlemen, is God, now watch, in the natural or the spiritual? And the answer is yes, even with motorcycle riding. In other words, when you choose to do something in the natural realm, you're to recognize the presence of God in that, whatever you're doing, and let it be a spiritual moment. Now, what that leads me to say is simply this. I have a deep conviction that Christians are to live every moment of every day in this natural world as if it's a spiritual moment trusting that whatever end result comes will be in his purposes for you and for me. Now, let's make an application of that. That means that for me, when I'm at an OU football game, watching them whip up on somebody, and it's a natural moment. I love it because I'm an OU fanatic, but the fact of the matter is, I see it as something that there's a connectedness with God in. And I will even in the moment we're eating a meal afterwards or before, have a blessing, a time, always recognizing God's reality. Now, is God in the natural or the spiritual? And the answer is yes. Now, that means, ladies and gentlemen, that God is no more real to me right now, standing in this pulpit on a Sunday morning, preaching from the Word of God. He's not any more real to me in this moment than He is when I go to a football game or when I take a rod and reel and go out to a pond to fish for bass or whatever I choose to do in my life in the natural realm, I see those as things God has allowed on my plate. And as I see them as a gift from Him, now that simply means this, that any time I involve myself in a business deal or a personal relationship or a situation where a lie is needed or whatever, I'm going to have to make the choice, Lord, you're real in this moment, 
you're the one I'm concerned about here rather than what people see, what people think, or even what I desire in the moment. I desire above all else for you to be seen as real in this minute. So do you understand that puts some parameters and boundaries on my behavior? But at the same time, it puts a total freedom in my life. Somebody says, you mean to tell me that you as a Christian can listen to Creedence Clearwater Revival? I certainly can. Because for me, now hear me, it is a God moment. Now all that means is, I see the reality of God in that moment, in my enjoyment of that thing, as much as I do in a church building on Sunday morning, enjoying a message or a Bible study. You see, ladies and gentlemen, Christianity is basically God being real to us in our relationship in all of our natural life, knowing the reality of our spiritual life as well. And one of these days when the natural is over, we move into the ultimate spiritual. Some of our experiences will not be all that much changed because we're already experiencing Christ in the heavenly places and His realness in everything about life. And sometimes when we get to heaven, I think it might be that we're a little more familiar with it than we would have ever thought possible. Now, I close with this. My statement I want to leave you with is this. The trained spirit in a person sees God as real in all of life and celebrates all of life as God's reality and gift to them. Because whether it's in the natural realm or the spiritual realm, all of life is sacred. Now, ladies and gentlemen, when you apply this to a COVID era, when you apply it to a time of war, as in World War II and Korea, when you apply it in anything that is in the natural realm, I am to see the reality of God first and foremost. And do you know what the Scripture says? When I begin to see how much His love introduces Him into my life in this way, my love for Him begins to grow, and love casts out all fear. One final word. Basically, most miracles are for a moment. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, Lazarus later died. Most of the time when, Jesus, when God steps from the supernatural into the natural and does something miraculous, it eventually will pass off the scene. When he healed the man with a withered arm, that man's withered arm never got withered again, I'm assuming, but it sure did get flabby as it got older. Okay? Miracles are only for the moment and are not for eternity. Basically, miracles are few and far between. Basically, you won't see God working much at all if you only think of Him having to step out into the natural to do something that makes you comfortable. But in reality, 
if you understand what I'm saying this morning, living naturally in the supernatural means every moment of your life, wherever you are, with whomever you're spending that moment, God will be as real in that moment as any. And sometimes that's embarrassing. And I have to ask His forgiveness because I still mess up. I'm working hard on that. I want to do the right thing. Now, I'm doing pretty good. Mary's still in a mess. She's still not doing just real well. She's working on it. You understand what I'm saying, don't you? Mary found a song I'd never heard. We played it together yesterday. We used to choose a song for our wedding anniversary. Our anniversary was in May. We didn't choose one and all that. But this is by uh, a guy, a singer by the name of Rodriguez. Alex Rodriguez? Johnny Rodriguez. I'm, of course, I'm a country music fan, but I just never heard that much about Johnny Rodriguez. But it's a song called We Believe in Happy Endings. We listened to that. It was one of the top-rated songs in 1978. I didn't know it had been around there. That's one of the best songs. I've, it's our testimony of our marriage. We believe in happy endings. And you know what my testimony is about this thing of living naturally in the supernatural? It causes me to believe in happy endings. Whatever my life faces, whatever my life finds to be experienced, whatever my life is involved in, whatever I'm called upon to face, I believe in happy endings because He came to give us life and life abundantly. By the way, that's not the Greek word life meaning biological life, you know. It's the word zoe in the Greek which means abundant, uh, unpropped up. Nobody has to prop it up. You don't have to have stilts under it to hold you up. It's there. It's experienced in fullness, life. Even when the things on your plate involve a session of COVID, the death of a brother, or whatever, it's a whole different perspective for what life is intended to be. May God grant us the wisdom. He's already given us the power to live naturally in the supernatural. We're members of both realms of reality. Would you stand with me? Heads bowed, eyes closed.